Today on the Ag News Daily Podcast. You know, folks like PETA have been standing on street corners in their lettuce bikinis for years telling people it's wrong to raise animals <laughs> to produce food. And most people have rejected that. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Friday, and we are almost to May. My name is Delaney Howell, and I am one of your hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast. Joining me is my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, what do you know today? Well, I know that it is just about 38 degrees with a cold rain falling here in the central Iowa heartland, or I guess east central Iowa. And uh, I'm just, I'm feeling sorry for my cows, my little baby calves, and I'm really feeling sorry for the corn that's in the ground out there. I know it sure is gross outside, and I think I uh, heard somebody talking at work that it is snowing in Nebraska. Well, yes, and I saw somebody, and this is Facebook, but she lives out in western Iowa. She said it was like a whiteout condition. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they can keep it over there. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I know, as I mentioned yesterday, I really wanted to go golfing this weekend, and that is not even close to happening. No, and so I was just reading the forecast. It looks like we are supposed to be in the 50s and cloudy through at least Tuesday, with the potential for a warm-up to like 60 Mm -hmm. Wednesday and Thursday of this next week. So this is a long cold spell here in the heartland, and yet we're not seeing the market respond very much, but uh, I'm sure we will cover that later. Yes, I think we will. Let's jump just right into the news. What do you think, Mike? Let's do it, Delaney. Have you found anything interesting on uh, this Friday? Oh, I found so much stuff. I Let's see, where should we start? Let's start with the court ruling for the clean power plant lawsuit. It's really not much of a ruling because they have decided, the U.S. Court of Appeals on Friday today, have decided to put on hold for 60 days without deciding the issue of legality. So, with this, they're basically going to put it on the back burner. They're asking for the EPA to give an update in 30 days on the status of the ruling. And they're also asking for those involved in the suit to file papers. And so nothing will be put into effect for at least another 60 days. And then from there, I think they're going to redecide and renegotiate and decide what is going to happen. And it looks like the, uh, so it's an interesting case. Basically, these uh, environmental groups are suing the EPA to put this thing into practice and the epa is currently one of the opponents because we've had the administration change and scott pruitt's epa uh you know does not want to see this thing through so i would imagine over the next 60 days we will probably see this clean power plan reversed or at least uh the epa's regulatory stuff pulled out and this thing will just fade away right i think i would have to agree with you there Well, let's see, as long as we're on the topic of, uh, I don't know, I guess I don't really have a segue there. There was news (laughs) out of uh, uh, ChemChina. Basically, they have reconfirmed their timeline for the public offer for the Syngenta shares. And it looks like, now let me find the date again here. The ChemChina will be ready, will have all of the regulatory approvals and conditions in place to begin the purchases of Syngenta shares beginning on May 18th, 2017. So we're getting close to ChemChina officially purchasing Syngenta. That is really soon. That's right around the corner. It is. They were just, I think, just waiting on the uh, FTC and the EU approval, and now they've got them. Boom, they're going to, sounds like it starts writing checks. (laughs) That's exciting for them, I guess. 
in in other news um i th- you we talked about this a little bit before we uh did today's podcast mike but there's news that northy might be tapped as sunny Purdue's deputy and you said that you did not think that that was the case and do you kind of want to give our listeners a little taste of why you bet so earlier this morning earlier friday morning i had the chance to be on agritalk with mike adams and chip flory and jim wiesmeyer and uh, jim wiesmeyer he's the uh, senior vice president with in the washington bureau for informa economics he's very plugged in to what's going on in dc and i had mentioned that you know hey we've got uh, reports that Norvi might be moving to dc as a deputy assistant to the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, and Jim Wiesmeyer goes, nope, it's not going to be Bill Norvie, and he listed somebody else, and I wish I'd been taking notes. He said it won't be this person either, um, but he does believe we will get a name here in the next week or maybe 10 days. We will find out who that deputy will be. There is still room for Norvie to move to D.C., mm-hmm. but uh, probably won't be as uh, Deputy Agriculture Secretary. Yeah, and Sonny Perdue has definitely hit the ground running since he's been in office. He's been in um, Wisconsin. I think he was in Kansas City either this morning or yesterday because he was supposed to meet with the EU Commissioner of Agriculture, and that got bumped. He's He's got a lot on his plate, honestly. Yeah, definitely a trial by fire as he's come into uh, his new role there. Definitely. Mike, what other news do you have for us today? Well, let's see. As long as we are talking about Secretary Norvey, there I've got a segue. (laughs) We've got a report here yesterday. President Trump had the roundtable on agriculture, and one of the participants was Bill Norvey, the Iowa Secretary of Agriculture. And he issued a statement this morning saying the president clearly understands the importance to the nation of a strong ag sector. And it is great news that Sonny Perdue is in charge at the USDA, and he gave quite a long statement, but I will excerpt another quote here. He said, on trade, my takeaway is that the president understands how important trade is to agriculture and will not risk undermining the advancements we've made in the ag trade as they work with our trading partners to address other concerns. That's a big issue as we've talked NAFTA so much this week. And then just yesterday or this morning, uh, the president has come out saying the free trade agreement we have with South Korea is less than ideal. And, of course, we ship a lot of high-value proteins to South Korea. So hopefully with Purdue, with Northy, with the uh, Ag Secretary team that is in place out there, trade will still be preserved because it is so vital to American agriculture. Well, I was reading another article, actually, in regards to the roundtable that they had earlier this week. And in this article, it said it's from AgWeb, which is powered by Farm Journal. In this article, it said that they had a diverse group of people and a diverse group of topics, but really most of the focus was on immigration, labor, trade, regulation, and infrastructure. And so there was a quote here, uh, or I guess not a quote, just from the article, saying that really the president seems to understand the importance of having immigration and open open communication and open lines with other countries. And the H-2A visa program was also a hot topic during the discussion. So I think President Trump has become a little more open to the ideas. He did say earlier this week, I believe, something about the wall, maybe not pushing that through quite as quickly, which deals with the budgets. Mike, 
what do you know about the budgets that are supposed to be were supposed to be voted on today? Well, that was one of the big contentions was that President Trump said he was not going to get behind any kind of government funding unless it included room for his, uh, I forget the number, 14 or 15 billion dollars to build the wall. That was earlier in the week. Then as the week progressed, he's backed off of that a little bit. He said, right. you know, let's just fund the government. Let's just get this thing going, not have a government shutdown. And we'll mm -hmm. worry about the wall later on. And, of course, Ted Cruz earlier this week wrote a bill, and I don't know what has happened to it. I was just doing a quick search to see if any action has been taken. Uh, Ted Cruz's bill said we should just use the the number they used was $14 billion captured or uh, not captured but taken from El Chapo, the, uh, mm -hmm. the drug kingpin from Mexico, and use that money to fund yeah, the wall. Yeah, funny. And, nice. uh yeah, I don't know what happened to that bill, but that was an idea that was floated, and I think that's one of those things that helped uh, President Trump back away from his demands that they be included in the, uh, the you know, government uh, right. debt ceiling negotiations. <laughs> yeah, so now a one-week extension has been granted, I believe, for Congress to further discuss the bill. Hopefully this weekend they're going to finish negotiations and vote on it sometime next week. I think they have now until May 5th to vote on it, if I remember correctly. Okay, and it, it doesn't sound like a government shutdown's in the cards. We'll probably right. keep, the, keep the wheels on this train and keep it rolling. Yes, that's right. Well, speaking of wheels on a train, why don't you read us today's market prices? They seem to be rolling right along. Well, yes and no. Uh, as Let's take a look at the grains. Let's look at the corn market first. Corn is down on the week. We've got a little more softness here. The May contract closed four cents lower for the day, ending at 3.58 even. The December new crop corn contract down one and three quarter cents, finishing at 3.85 even. In soybeans, they were down just half a cent in the May contract, closed at 9.45 and a quarter. The Novi contract, November beans, down one and a quarter, closed at 3.53 and a quarter. Looking over at wheat here, May Chicago wheat, maybe this cold snap is bringing a little life into that market. Chicago wheat closed up five cents, finishing the day at 4.18 and a half. The December wheat contract up three quarters of a cent, finishing at 4.68 and a quarter. Now, looking over at the livestock markets yesterday, that was so much fun to read. We got to say <laughs> limit up so many times. Today, I was a little nervous. We started the morning with some weakness. There was a report this morning that uh, first quarter GDP only grew at 0.7%. Expectations were maybe around one and a quarter percent. And that plus the profit taking from yesterday pushed us lower. We were down about $1.50 in live cattle earlier this morning. But that turned around. The way the markets closed, June live cattle finished up two and a half dollars, closing the day at one twenty four oh two and a half, and August live cattle up two twenty seven and a half, finished at one twenty oh five. Looking at feeder cattle, continued strength, substantial strength in feeder cattle, with the May contract up two dollars ninety seven and a half cents, finishing at one forty nine fifty five. The August contract almost limit up, closed at four thirty five. <laughs> excuse me. Up 435, closing at 154.70. Huge increases in the past three weeks in feeder cattle. Looking at lean hogs, they did continue strength from yesterday. The May contract closed up seven and a half cents, finishing at 67.97 and a half. The June contract up a dollar 17 and a half, closed at 74 dollars even. And I do want to jump down, take a look at the milk market. We saw some movement, though it wasn't in the right direction for milk producers. The May 17 contract closed down 16 cents, finishing at 15. 
34. Now, Delaney, we've got a lot of enthusiasm about the beef market. We've got a lot of enthusiasm in the countryside. Cattle feeders are making money. Cow-calf producers are getting excited. People are eating beef, which is good because of today's interview, is it not? It is, and it's good because we learn in today's interview that it's actually one of the leanest and healthiest meats available for us to eat. So let's kick it off to Darren Williams from NCBA. We are welcomed now by Darren Williams. He is from Castle Rock, Colorado, and he is currently the Director of Communications for the NCBA. Darren, welcome, first of all, but tell us what it's like to work for the beef industry in the U.S. and for NCBA. Well, it's a very exciting job, never a dull moment. You know, we have no shortage of issues facing our industry as we look at, uh, you know, uh, sustaining it for future generations and er everything from activist groups uh, coming after us on issues like uh, uh, the environment, uh, the healthfulness of the product we produce, to just some of the market challenges and and um, the export dialogue that's going on right now with, um, in the, you know, making national news with the Trump administration. It's an, it is an exciting time to be in the industry. Now, Darren, one of the things that has, it's one of those recurring issues, it's a bad penny. It's the notion that raising beef for consumption is the worst thing in the world for the environment. Is that, uh, is that something you have studied at all? Can you uh, share with us your thoughts on uh, what the research has showed as far as uh, beef cattle affecting the environment? Absolutely. We've actually taken a really good, hard look at that issue because starting probably a decade ago when I first joined NCBA, we, this issue has only been growing. And, and frankly, it's just another way for people who have been telling us that we shouldn't raise animals to produce food to continue that argument or expand that argument. You know, folks like PETA have been standing on street corners in their lettuce bikinis for years telling people it's wrong to raise animals <laughs> to produce food. And most people have rejected that. You know, 95, 96% of Americans say it's okay to raise animals to produce food. So they've expanded their argument. They've tried to say it's not helpful for you. Uh, we can certainly talk about that as well and what we know there. But their latest deal is this idea that cows are causing global warming. And it really started about 10 years ago with the United Nations Food Ag and Ag Organization putting out a report called Livestock's Long Shadow. And that report has often been cited by uh, groups like the Humane Society of the United States and others, um, World Resources Institute, to to make an argument that we should eat less beef uh, because of the environmental impact. But with the, according to the research that we've done through the beef checkoff at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, first of all, uh, we do a better job than anywhere else in the world right here in the United States of raising beef with fewer resources. We, we raise more beef today with less land, less water, less feed, less fuel, fewer methane emissions, every, everything that, uh, that they could throw at us. Um, because we have the most efficient system in the world, raising cattle on grass, finishing them in a feed yard, uh, really is the, the most uh, efficient use of environmental resources. So, so any time that they throw global numbers at us, which is what these reports often do, um, to, to try to, t to tell Americans that we should eat less beef, we have to say, wait a minute, the beef we produce right here is much more efficient than beef produced in other places in the world. And, and, and frankly, the reducing beef consumption would have very, very little impact on greenhouse gas emissions.
Okay, wait, sorry. I'm a little bit stuck on this. Have you seen people in lettuce bikinis? <laughs> I've, I've actually seen people in lettuce bikinis. We, we have, you know, PETA often comes to our national convention and protests. They have a variety of different ones. They they roll out one. Uh, they they put a young woman on a on a grill and and act like they're barbecuing her and trying to make the point that oh my goodness that, uh, all flesh is the same. You know, and I, and I just think again, most Americans reject that argument and uh, and uh, are meat eaters and want to enjoy. I mean, they want to know that it's being raised responsibly, for sure. They want to know the animals are being treated properly. They want to know that we are doing it with an eye towards the sustainability of the environment and environmental impact, and, and we certainly are working on all of those things. And we're not perfect, but we're always working to get better, and I think that's the story of the beef industry and American agriculture in general is just we're continuously improving the way we produce food. Well, let's talk about raising beef responsibly. Uh, you know, over the past several years, responsibility and sustainability have both kind of come together as uh, a really big themes within the industry. And uh, how is how are cattle cattle producers, cow calf operators, or feedlot operators? How are they tracking that? Is that is there something NCBA uses to measure responsibility? Well, we're looking at a variety of different measurement tools. Actually, in the sustainability research that we're doing now, we're we're doing a lot of collecting a lot of regional data. You know, the, the one thing about raising cattle in this country is there's no one size fits all approach, no one right way to do it. You know, we've got about 600,000 uh, plus beef cattle operations in the United States, and about 600,000 different ways to do it right because everyone has different resources. We're not raising these animals inside of controlled environments like the, the pork industry or the poultry industry, which certainly has some advantages. Uh, but we also think there are huge advantages to raising cattle out on pasture and huge advantages for the environment. And uh, we are looking at ways to quantify that so that we can, you know, engage in this discussion with, with global, co uh, global companies like McDonald's and Walmart and others and, and have a good discussion about what, you know, what responsibly raised beef really looks like. Uh, you know, we, I guess my definition of it would be uh, doing everything that we know right to do to care for the animals that we're raising to produce food and, and to, and to uh, be good stewards of the land. And I think cattle producers do that every day. But we're always finding better ways, ways we can do it uh, with less land and fewer resources and using feedstuffs like distillers greens that come out of ethanol production, you know, just continuing to find those ways uh, that we can use the resources that we have to the best of our ability. Now, Darren, are you in charge of the Masters in Beef Advocacy Program or do you just do a lot with it? Well, I gave myself the title of Dean of Students about ten years and eight years ago, I guess, when we launched that program. But uh, the more I did work with universities with the program, I, I realized how presumptuous that title was. But uh, I did help start the Masters of Beef Advocacy program at NCBA. Uh, it's a beef checkoff-funded program that we launched in March of 2009. And uh, what it is is a series of five online courses that people can go through on their own time. There's no cost. It's a beef checkoff-funded program. And it's really for people who want to be advocates for beef, for the beef industry, uh, to, to learn more about how to communicate with consumers about some of these very issues we're talking about, like sustainability. And uh, 
it's just been a tremendous success. We just we just celebrated ten thousand graduates of that program. So wow. we now have we now have ten. I know it's crazy. I never thought we'd get to that point, frankly, uh, or that I'd see it. But um, we have now have ten thousand people across the country who are equipped and ready to engage consumers in conversation. And they're having those conversations every day in social media, one on one, you know, with their neighbors and and friends and family. Uh, we've we've got graduates of the program who have done national media interviews, been featured on national uh, television shows like the Travel Channel. Um, uh, just a quick story here: we have one of our graduates of what we call the Top of the Class program, who was her family ranch outside of LA was featured on the Travel Channel on a story called "Life's a Trip" with, uh, or a segment called "Life's a Trip" with Patrick Warburton, who's huh. an actor, and yeah, his son, who are kind of taking a road trip across the country and their first stop was a big ranch outside of LA and it's a working ranch and a guest ranch and they did a great great job of representing the beef industry in a national program. That's the kind of stuff that we need more of and uh, that's the kind of stuff that the Masters of Beef Advocacy graduates are delivering. So does this does this program just teach them the skills and equip them with the knowledge and skills and talking points to be advocates or I mean what does the program really do? No, that's exactly right. So if I asked you, um, Delaney, what are the 10 essential nutrients that beef is a good or excellent source of, how many do you think you could name? Ooh, let's see. I mean, protein for sure. Zinc, iron. <laughs> Amino. Uh, B12. I don't <laughs> Mike is obviously, <laughs> <laughs> maybe between the two of us we could get most of them. Hey, well, I think you got at least five there, um, Mike and Delaney, because you got zinc and iron and protein and B vitamins, and and the, and those is it, we got B12, B6, B3, B2, oh. also known as the riboflavin and niacin, but lots of B vitamins in there. So it, beef is a nutrient-rich, power-packed protein, and you know why? I, I want every beef producer to know what those nutrients are, so they can have that conversation, whether it's with their doctor. Um, the registered dietitian that goes to their church or, or um, you know, just a consumer who says, oh, I'm trying to cut back on red meat because, you know, I'm not sure if it's healthy. And, um, you know, I think the, the conversation is turning beef has gotten a bad rap for a number of years, but uh, we're seeing more and more evidence that saturated fat is not the, the boogeyman with heart disease that we once thought it was. Um, of course, the, today's beef is leaner than ever before. Uh, if you're concerned about saturated fat, we have lots of lean cuts to choose from. Beef has more lean cuts than chicken even has cuts. So, huh. you know, chicken wears a halo of being a lean protein, and it certainly is, and and something that a lot of people enjoy. But you can also enjoy lean cuts of beef in a in a heart-healthy, overall healthy uh, diet and lifestyle. Well, now, Darren, this kind of leads us into something that I know is a passion of yours, talking about the uh, the nutrient-dense food that is beef. It's very conducive for somebody who wants to live a fitness lifestyle and exercise regularly, which is something you do. Tell us a little bit about uh, your sideline, running and biking and doing all that stuff. Well, it's it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. But about 20 years ago, I weighed 270 pounds. Now I'm I'm six four, and I can hide 270 on my frame pretty well. But I was always the tall, skinny kid growing up that you called bean pole or string bean, you know, and, and um, stretch, you know. And and uh, I don't know, something happened to me in my 20s. I slowed down and took a desk job in Washington D.C. 
I went out there to work for Senator Bob Dole and, and uh, had a great opportunity, but I just didn't have the active lifestyle that I'd had, you know, growing up running track in high school. And uh, and so I took a look in the mirror one day and decided I needed to do something as I'd gained a lot of weight in my 20s and, and went out and bought a bike and started riding. And that, that really is a big part of transforming my life. Now, I, I didn't work for the beef industry at the time. I didn't really know much about beef's nutrient profile. But I knew that the more I rode my bike and I started training for uh, an MS-150 bike ride, it's 100 mile one day and 50 the next, that I needed to fuel my body differently. That the food I had been eating, you know, a lot of pretty meat and potatoes. I'm a western Kansas kid, grew up in Kansas, and pretty meat and potatoes diet. My wife is from Garden City, Kansas, and a great cook. And and uh, we, we ate you know, some great meals, but but uh, probably not the best fuel for my body and just in terms of being physically active and and started eating more lean cuts of meat and more fruits and vegetables, all the things that we know we're supposed to do but don't always do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I just got more and more into it. Uh, coming up June 10th, I'll be doing an event called Ride the Rockies. It's a 447-mile, seven-day bike ride through the Rocky Mountains that will climb over 32,000 feet of elevation over the course of a week. Uh, so it's a, it's a nice little bike ride. <laughs> a little bike ride. <laughs> wow. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it without fueling my body with things like beef. That it, you know, that zinc helps build a healthy immune system and helps, uh, you know, build those, um, and, and iron helps build healthy red blood cells that are carrying the oxygen from your lungs to your, to your muscles and to your vital organs. And all of that stuff is so critical for physical activity. You know, riding over a 12,000-foot mountain pass, you want every every breath you take to to be processed by your body efficiently and get to your to your your organs and your muscles. And 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 you know, having beef in your diet helps build those healthy red blood cells that do that. In your uh, conversations other... with other cyclists and with other uh, with nutritionists, people who are focusing on fitness, are they getting the same message? Are they uh, consuming the lean cuts of beef as well? You know, I do have a lot of conversations with other cyclists because I wear my Team Beef jersey every time I do one of these rides, and I have a lot, and that starts a lot of conversations. It's got a big old T-bone steak on a Weber grill right on the side. <laughs> nice. So it's kind of kind of hard to ignore. And uh, I do get in a lot of conversations, and I also have an opportunity to talk to a lot of registered dietitians, a lot of them who I follow on Twitter, but, but I also go and speak to registered dietitian groups a lot. And and I would say this, pro, they understand that protein is absolutely essential, and protein is very hot right now. Everybody's talking about protein and getting more protein in your mm-hmm. diet. But when it comes to beef, there are still some misconceptions, and and you know they may think oh there's there's leaner sources of protein or there's healthier sources of protein but you're really not going to find many options healthier providing more nutrients and even leaner than like a good old tenderloin steak or or a, a KC strip steak I'm, really a steak is considered a a healthy or a lean piece of meat Absolutely. We have more than 38 cuts of beef that meet the government definition of lean, which is mm. less than 10 grams of total fat, less than 4.5 grams of saturated fat per serving. And that includes some of your favorite cuts, like a tenderloin steak, one of the leanest cuts in the entire animal, also one of the most tender. Uh, but not, not a lot of marbling in there, right? Well, that's, mm-hmm. you know, marbling is fat. But you look at a strip steak, uh, some people call it a New York. I'm from Kansas. It's always going to be a Kansas City strip as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but 
um, you know, there's a little bit of hard white fat on the outside. That's your saturated fat. You cut that off, and you're actually left with what is a very lean piece of meat and does meet that government definition of lean. Wow. As does uh, as does 96% lean ground beef. And you might say, well, who the heck buys 96% lean ground beef? Well, a lot of consumers do. They're looking for that leaner option, uh, particularly when using it as an ingredient. A lot of millennial consumers are... Uh, you know, big fans of ground beef because it's very versatile, can go into a lot of different mm-hmm. dishes. And if you're putting it into a dish as an ingredient, you don't need, any, you know, really that extra fat in there. Now, if you're doing a burger, I would want to go 85-15. I don't want to cut any, uh, too much of that fat out. You're just going to end up putting something else on it to to make it juicy if you if you cut out too much of the fat. You bet. Now, Darren, what about uh, like a 16-ounce ribeye? Would that uh, would that be appropriate fuel for me now to to go and work out? <laughs> well, you just named one of my favorite cuts, and I enjoy a ribeye at least once a week, and I'm serious about that. I eat beef every day. Um, it's not just my job; it is my passion. It's something I truly believe in, and that's why I love my job. But I, I love a good rib- bone-in ribeye steak. I think Mike is asking because he recently began personal training, and I'm sure he's asking for personal reasons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you can enjoy that ribeye steak. And, you know, just make sure you're getting lots of fruits and vegetables there. And the other thing is cut off the sat fat. The the marbling that gives beef its great flavor is also where more of the monounsaturated fat lives. About half the fat found in beef is monounsaturated. It's the same fat found in olive oil. And it's in that marbling. It's in that intramuscular fat. The hard white stuff on the outside or in that ribeye, you know, that big... Yep. Uh, lump of fat right in the middle Mm -hmm. uh you know my grandpa used to love to char that and and eat that i I wouldn't recommend that i would recommend (laughs) cutting that out and tossing that away okay well darren this has been actually really interesting i didn't i i was always under the misconception i mean i know beef is healthy but a lot of people don't think like steak is a healthy cut so this has been a really interesting conversation well you know, I'll just wrap that up by saying that one of the things that makes it uh, a healthy option is you don't have to put a lot on it to make it taste mm-hmm. good. You know, a little salt and pepper and call it good. You're not adding, you don't have to add a big uh, fat gravy or or sauce or something to it or a lot of cheese or something to it. Uh, if you watch those things, you can absolutely incorporate beef into a healthy lifestyle. And we've got a lot of great tips on com, which is, of course, our our uh, flagship website um, for the beef checkoff, and it's got great lean beef recipes and just tips for incorporating um, more lean protein in your diet. Uh, We've got something called a 30-day protein challenge on there to make sure you're getting enough protein in your diet. So if if you're looking for more tips on how to incorporate beef in a healthy diet, go to beefitswhat'sfordinner.com. Perfect. And Darren, hopefully we can get you to Iowa to participate in RAGBRAI, the big bike ride across oh, yeah. the state. You know, it's on my bucket list. I've wanted to come out and do RAGBRAI, and we have team beef riders who do, do RAGBRAI every year. So I, I would say that will probably happen one of these uh, one of these days. We, it often conflicts with our summer business meeting. Uh, yes, it does. We have to do some of our planning. But uh, other than that, if I can schedule it in, I'm, I'd love to come out and do it. Well, hopefully we can uh, get a chance to see you in person and talk more in detail about beef and get you on again. So, Darren, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. It's been a great conversation. Again, a big thank you to Darren Williams from NCBA 
he had a lot of interesting things to say. And I'm really excited to know now officially that I can eat steak and not feel guilty about it. Never feel guilty for eating steak, Delaney. You're doing your part to make America great again when you eat that well, delicious steak. Well, it's just funny because I, I used to work at a gym and I would hear overhear conversations and people would say, oh, yeah, my cheat meal for the week is a steak. And I was thinking, I eat steak like uh, probably every other day. And I thought it was pretty healthy. But now it's confirmed it's healthy. It is healthy. Darren said he eats beef at every meal. So you need to go mm -hmm. back to that gym. You need to walk in the front door with a big old plate <laughs> of ribeyes <laughs> and say, look, everybody, this is not a cheap meal. This is just delicious I protein know. with a lot of uh, valuable nutrients. So with I that, know. Delaney, what do we have planned for next week? I think it's a surprise, Mike. I don't know. I, I, I haven't lined anything up yet. I'm sorry to say. That is okay. Let's just assume I've done all the work then for this next Good. week. And Let's encourage, hope so. <laughs> encourage everybody to subscribe to us via iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get podcasts. And please do rate and review us. Delaney. Let the people go. Let's let the people go. Let's let the people go.